Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. There's desperation and anguish. More than 80,000 Afghans have since arrived in America. But this story is still unfolding. I'm Andrea Smartin. In my new podcast, Stranger Becomes Neighbor, we'll find out what happens to these new arrivals in our communities. Who would help our newest neighbors? Follow us at kslpodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. It is a costly cure. Hear about the work and workarounds to manage the price of prescription drugs in Utah. Here are Kelly Pierce and John Wojcik on KSL News Radio 102.7 FM and 1160 AM. Welcome into a costly cure here on KSL News Radio as we dive into the high prices of prescription drugs here in Utah. I'm KSL News Radio's John Wojcik, and along with Kelly Pierce, we're leading this conference special as we talk to a number of lawmakers and also everyday people that are impacted by these high prices. Right now, we welcome in one of Utah's delegates in Washington. It's Congressman Ben McAdams. And Congressman McAdams, you said this is not only an issue that's near and dear to your heart, but also probably the number one thing that you hear about from just everyday people on the street. Thank you, John. This is this is an issue that I've been working hard on uh, during my time in Congress, and and I'm going to tell you just a quick story that uh, why I'm so made, motivated on this. I was um, waiting to catch a flight from D.C. home to Utah. I come home every weekend to be with my family who lives here in Utah, and a gentleman came up to me, and he he's uh, a constituent of mine. He lives here in Utah, and he said, "Just want to tell you my story." He said, "I have a." A form of cancer, a rare form of cancer that um, as long as I take my medication, the doctors tell me that it is manageable and I will not die from this cancer. But if I ever stop taking the medication, I have about two years to live. And he said, fortunately, I have a job with uh, with good health insurance. He said he works for BYU in the facilities department. And uh, But he says, if I ever lost my job, this medication is about $20,000 a month. So if I lost my job, it would be a death sentence. And I, I hear stories from Utahns every week about uh, the high cost of prescription drugs, how they're struggling to pay for a life-saving drug for themselves or a child. And, uh, and we've got to do something about this. We've seen the price of insulin go up 1,300% over the last 10 years. Something's going on, and we need to bring solutions to the table so we can continue to have innovations in medicine and, and, uh, and continue to invest in research and cures for some for diseases, but also make sure that those cures are affordable to average Americans. Yeah, when you take a look at what you've been able to help pass in Washington when it comes to bringing down the price of prescription drugs, I think the number one piece of legislation that comes to mind is the CREATES Act. Now, this was a bill that you were able to get bipartisan support on, including Utah Senator Mike Lee jumped on this. Now, for those who are unfamiliar, what exactly is this bill going to do? The CREATES Act is a bill that I jumped on right after I got into uh, into Congress a year ago, knowing that we've got to take action to bring down the cost of prescription drugs, and nothing happens in Washington unless it's bipartisan. So this was legislation that had support from Republicans and Democrats. President Trump is supportive of this legislation, and it looks like a piece of the puzzle. I don't know that there's there's any single piece of legislation that's going to solve the problem altogether, but this seemed like a pretty good piece. So what the CREATES Act does is uh, it streamlines bringing generic drugs to market. So in the United States, the way we fund our research into drugs and into cures and treatments for diseases is through either patent protection or exclusivity. So the Food and Drug Administration will will test and certify that a drug is safe for human 
usage and and that it has the effect of, of uh, providing the necessary relief from a disease or, or sickness. And then we will grant the company or the pharmaceutical company that's researched that drug, grant them a period of exclusivity for that drug. So basically their way to recoup the money they've spent on research and development is to have exclusive access to uh, to the market for a period of time. And then after that period of time expires, those drugs go generic and you can buy them for much less amount. So what we've seen is some, some bad actions uh, as, as, the, as a patent or a period of exclusivity is coming to an end. Uh, you'll see some loopholes that uh, some, some drug companies are exploiting to extend it out longer and to keep that period of exclusivity so they can charge a higher price and keep generic competition out of the market. So the CREATES Act helps to bring generic drugs to the market more quickly so that we can lower prices and expand the knowledge and the research that's been done, expand that out to everybody. Right. And if I understand you correctly, it sounds like pretty much the goal is to take all these manufacturers who've been looking for loopholes and to force them to play this game by the rules to kind of even the playing field a little bit. We want that system to work. But the way that the system works, the fine-tuning of the system is, is that a researcher and a pharmaceutical company will have that period of exclusivity it's usually somewhere between 8 to 12 years, depending on various circumstances. And when that period ends, then they have to give that product out to a generic manufacturer. That, those are the rules of the game that we've all agreed to. The CREATES Act will hold the feet to the fire of those pharmaceutical companies that they have to play by those rules. And so what we will see is those drugs that are nearing the end of their uh, exclusivity, the more immediately generics will be coming onto the market. So uh, prices will come down for drugs that are 8 to 12 years old. Speaking with Congressman Ben McAdams here on KSL News Radio, a costly cure, a conference weekend special. And Congressman McAdams, when you look at the landscape right now of high prescription drug prices, there's a lot of different issues and it's kind of impossible to attack everything at once. So if you would have had to identify one single problem or one single drug with high prices, is there one that comes to mind that you think if we're able to identify it and throw resources behind it, that we can help alleviate problems here in the short term? We have got to bring down the price of insulin. This is a drug that has been around for 100 years. In fact, the individual who, who uh, first patented insulin gave that patent away for free because they wanted this drug available to people who needed it. And so now we're here today where the cost of insulin has gone from, uh, you know, from $80 a month to or $20 a month to $300 a month for people who are, are living with this chronic lifetime disease. And they've seen the cost just escalate in the last few years. So first of all, I want to acknowledge Representative Thurston in the Utah legislature who's leading out on, on a, a local solution to bringing down the price of insulin. But there's also uh, legislation at the at the federal level that I'm supporting, the Insulin Price Reduction Act would give manufacturers uh, who participate in an incentive, this would basically say that, uh, that their drugs will be covered by Medicare and Medicaid um, with no deductible if they will bring their prices down to the, uh, to the level that they were at in, uh, in 2006. And so you'd see an immediate reduction in the, in the cost of, of insulin. It's great to see this work happening, not only in Washington, but also in our backyards right here in Salt Lake City. And when we come back, myself and Kelly Pierce will continue to dive into some of the factors that are driving up the drug prices here in Utah as we speak to lawmakers and everyday people that are impacted by these high prices for life-saving drugs. It's a costly cure here on KSL News Radio. We'll be back right after this. A gun in the face. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. Started two years of horror for an American in Venezuela. 
they said, you need to give us your phone and get ready because you're coming with us. I'm Becky Bruce, and I spent a year researching and piecing together Josh and Tammy Holt's story about their ordeal in a notorious prison. That's when everything started to turn bad. We had another pound on the door. Boom, boom, boom. And there was the police once again. You can binge all of the episodes of Hope in Darkness on kslpodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Are you getting the top stories every weekday on Utah's Morning News? Listen Monday. Back to A Costly Cure on KSL News Radio. Welcome into A Costly Cure. I'm KSL News Radio's John Wojcik. We're diving into the factors that are causing the rise of prescription drug prices in the state. We're talking to lawmakers that are impacted by the problem and exploring some of the bills being discussed both here in Salt Lake City and also in Washington. Right now, we're welcoming in a state lawmaker that's been plenty busy the past few months working specifically on this problem, Representative Norm Thurston. Uh, so this is an issue, obviously, near and dear to your heart. This isn't something that you've just kind of randomly uh, latched onto. You've got a long background when it comes to healthcare statistics and a pretty deep understanding on just how the entire market works. Oh. Always been interested in trying to help make markets more efficient. Uh, and if markets are more efficient, that should bring prices down. Prescription drugs, in particular, is a problem area where markets are not very efficient, and we do see prices that are a lot higher than they really need to be. So this past session uh, has been an especially busy one for you. Uh, you've had your hands on it. a lot of different, whether it be bills, pieces of legislation. A lot of them have to do with curtailing some of these medical costs. Why don't you just kind of lay out what the session has been like for you? This session, we had several bills that were looking at pharmaceutical costs. Uh, pre- Premier one that everybody has heard about has been the Insulin Access Amendments Bill. That's the one that has passed. Uh, we also had a bill to continue our work on importation, taking advantage of lower costs of drugs in other countries like Mexico and Canada. That one, we decided to shelve it. We had some work, another bill by Representative Paul Ray, looking at the impact of the pharmaceutical benefits managers and their impact on the, the pharmacy system, try to pull back some of the unnecessary administrative costs. It's been a good session in terms of pharmaceutical pricing. One of the things you mentioned that uh, probably got the biggest headline, and it happened towards the end of the session, is some different bills related to insulin and making sure the price of that is brought way down and to a much more reasonable level. Uh, so what you ended up being able to get past was a copay cap for insulin. Now, we heard about that in some other states. Uh, Colorado comes to mind, but this one is different than other states. Yeah, so the first state to do this was Colorado, and they just had a $100 blanket copay cap per month per patient. The problem with doing it that way is that there's no flexibility for insurance companies to be creative in their plan design. When I started talking to the insurance companies this fall about a copay cap, they said, look, don't give us a blanket cap. Give us some flexibility. And in reality, we think we can provide insulin at much less than $100 if we have that flexibility. What the bill ends up with is that uh, insurance companies will have various options. Like There are four different pathways. So really, it's unlimited possibilities for an insurance plan to say, this is how we intend for our diabetic patients to get insulin at low or no cost. You mentioned right there, insurance plays a big part in this. What's their incentive to get on board with something like this? Well, the problem with for insurance company is if you have a diabetic who's rationing or who is trying to you know do something funky with their insulin and not doing it how they're supposed to be doing it, they eventually will end up in a hospital. 
and then the insurance company is going to pay a lot more for hospitalization than they would have paid if they were just covered the insulin, especially recognizing that when the insurance company pays for the insulin, they're paying 75% less than the retail price. They're getting this huge discount. So it's this problem between the patients paying full retail, insurance plans are getting this significantly discounted price, and how to resolve all of that kind of mess in the market so that patients aren't being hit with this huge bill out of pocket, which drives them to ration, which ends up putting them in the hospital. And that's that's why the insurance companies could wrap their brain about, oh, yes, this paradigm does not work for us. Right. And I think a lot of people, you know, they hear this news and it sounds great, but I think a lot of people who are non-diabetics hear this and they go, what is this going to do to, you know, my insurance or uh, a spouse's insurance? Are premiums going to start going up? Yeah, different insurance plans had different estimates. The most comprehensive study was done by CVS Caremark. They looked at this and concluded that it would have no impact at all on premiums, that this, that this program essentially would pay for itself, that the savings from people not keeping themselves healthy, the savings on that side would be more than enough to pay for the added cost of paying for the insulin on the front end. And this is you know, an issue we've been tracking for a while when myself and Kelly rolled out our initial coverage back in January. Now looking back at the session, it looks like you were able to introduce that in a unique way. It's a fabulous idea. So we have the Public Employees Health Plan. They have negotiated a significant discount on the amount that they pay for their insulin. So why can't we take that same purchasing power and let anybody who's a resident of the state of Utah get access to that bulk purchasing contract? And the answer is there's no, there are no barriers. Uh, after this bill goes into effect, anybody who's in uninsured or who's insured on a plan that, that for some reason is not going to be able to comply with the law, they're out of state or whatever it is, everybody can always go to PHP and obtain a discount card. And instead of paying $350 for a vial of insulin, they should be paying something closer to 65 or 70. Now, to me, that still sounds like a lot. But when you talk to the families that say, well, I'm going to get the price down from 350 to 70, they're just like tears of joy because that's enough to make a difference in a family budget. And I think the headline uh, when this legislation passed was the copay cap, but it might end up that more people are actually uh, impacted by the bulk purchasing because that might be a better option for a, a bigger majority of people in the state. Yeah. So when you look at people who are insured by large companies or who are uninsured, those companies may or may not provide the lower no cost option. If you're fully insured, if you have an insurance company that is governed by state law, yeah, we got them. But a lot of people work for large companies that have their own plan design. And even some of the insured companies may refer their patients over to the bulk purchasing program. So it could very well be the case that more people enroll in bulk purchasing. So obviously, we've been talking a lot about insulin, and that's been you know a big issue in the state. Uh, but there's plenty of other drugs out there that are uh, life-saving prescription drugs that are too expensive. What other uh, steps forward have been taken in the past handful of months to bring down the price of other prescription drugs? I think the biggest effort that is worth mentioning is the pharmacy tourism program. So public employees health plan for employees who are eligible, they have a list of high-cost drugs where the price differential between the U.S. and Canada or Mexico is worth pursuing pharmacy tourism, where they can get that drugs. Many of these drugs are cost 90% less in a foreign country than they, than they do in Utah. So it makes makes money for the state. We actually, during our first year of the program, we saved over a quarter million dollars. And if businesses across the state sort of pick up on this, this could be um, you know tens of millions of dollars. Putting a bow on, I guess, this insulin conversation, the things that people are looking for and asking for next time uh, you guys are meeting. With regard to insulin specifically, one of the unresolved issues has to do with prescription. In Canada, they have a, a policy called the ethical drug policy, which basically says that if you need insulin, no pharmacist will ever turn you away. So I want to have a discussion about 
about that over the summer and see, should we have in Utah an ethical drug policy so that people who are in a moment of need can always get what they need regardless of some administrative or health care systems issues? Perfect. Thanks so much for joining us, Representative Thurston. Thank you. It is a costly cure. Hear about the work and workarounds to manage the price of prescription drugs in Utah. Here are Kelly Pierce and John Wojcik on KSL News Radio 102.7 FM and 1160 AM. Welcome back. I'm KSL News Radio's Kelly Pierce. As some of you know who heard our original special, A Costly Cure, on KSL News Radio earlier this year, it's not just the pharmaceutical companies who are raising the price of your prescription drugs. The government has a big hand in this as well. How? Take a listen. Hey there. Megan lives in South Salt Lake and takes the drug Kiskali to treat her breast cancer. When she got to the pharmacy last year, she found out it would cost $4,000 a month. I almost burst into tears. I have to take it to basically live. I guess I'm going to blow through all my savings. And I remember like kind of doing the math in my head and thinking, okay, how much money do I have for how long can I live? Just as most people believe prescription drug prices are too high. The life-saving EpiPen, nearly 500% price increase. He hiked the price of a life-saving HIV drug, Daraprim, by 5,000%. Most economists think the root of all our problems is actually governmental. As Professor Robin Feldman from the University of California at Hastings explained in a congressional committee last year. More than three-quarters of the drugs associated with new patents are not new drugs coming on the market. They are existing ones. That's right. The Food and Drug Administration is letting pharmaceutical companies take over-expired patents for drugs. Once they get that monopoly, lower-cost generics are taken off the market, and the price you pay at the pharmacy counter goes up a lot. Take colchicine, a treatment for gout that's been around since ancient Greece. Dr. Gilbert Burdine from Texas Tech University says a couple of years ago, the FDA gave URL Pharma the exclusive rights to it. They simply took data that was already in the public domain, and they ran some new statistical analyses, and the FDA granted them a monopoly privilege. And so overnight, they took a medication that cost maybe 10 cents a tablet, and they raised the price to $50 a tablet because they could. And the same thing happened when the FDA let Marathon pharmaceuticals take over the patent for the muscular dystrophy drug deflazacort. The price went from a couple hundred dollars a year to 89000 And companies can get those monopolies just by changing the dosage of a drug. For its part, the FDA says they have to make some products temporarily illegal for safety reasons, an explanation that's confusing to doctors and patients who have used these drugs for years with no problems. Remember Megan, the breast cancer patient at the beginning of our story? She got lucky. A pharmacist helped her enroll in a program that reduced her prescription to $10 a month. What if it was someone else? What if it wasn't someone that could put in two hours worth of their time searching through coupons and scholarships to find this special deal? After the story aired, the FDA came under fire for slow walking tests and medical devices for people suffering from the coronavirus. Well, it's deeply concerning. Hundreds of these machines are currently in the United States, but they are not being used because the company is 
waiting for FDA approval to test for coronavirus. So it's not just prescription drugs. Some people have been criticizing the way the FDA approves medical devices and lab equipment. All this was not surprising to John Smith. He's one half of the John and John Morning Show on the Arrow, but he's also an advocate for diabetics like himself. He says many people use online glucose monitors like a Dexcom as well as something called an Omnipod. It's basically a week's worth of insulin that you stick in your waist or you stick in your your love handles through an app in your phone. You can say, okay, I need four units of insulin based on what I'm eating right now. There's little icons on your phone. You say, okay, I'm eating a slice of pizza or I'm eating some popcorn or I'm eating a cookie or I'm eating a granola bar. And it will tell you how much insulin you need based on the carbohydrates that are in that amount of food. So how does the FDA come into all this? John and many others are desperately waiting for the FDA to approve a device called the loop. What the loop does is it connects the two. It's invented by this guy whose daughter is diabetic, and he figured out how to connect the two so that when your blood sugar is high, it talks to the loop or it it talks to the Omnipod through the loop and injects that amount of insulin, which is basically what your pancreas does every day. But John says don't be caught with the loop or even the app on your phone. It's not approved by the FDA. Thus, if you're caught using it, your Dexcom and your Omnipod are no longer covered by insurance. That's one of the reasons he thinks the FDA is being short-sighted. Why don't more people have the right to try potentially life-saving devices like the Loop without being penalized? The FDA is saying, well, we don't want people overdosing on insulin, which paramedics are called out on low blood sugar all the time. I'm also... I moonlight as a firefighter. So we go out on medical calls all the time where people have low blood sugar and and you have to do a glucose shot or you have to put a glucose tab in their in their system and that brings them back. So the FDA is arguing that, well, we don't know how this is going to affect people. And basically, they're just disconnected from reality because this is already happening. This device would save lives. And it would save a lot of money and a lot of trouble for a lot of people, especially kids who are dealing with this on a day-to-day basis. And it's hung up in a bunch of testing and red tape, which that's what the FDA is, is there for. They're doing their job. But there's a lot of people that are already using this because it's not hard to get, it's not hard to use, and it's really not hard to make. There's instructions on how to make your own online. For now, John Smith and others like him have to wait on the FDA. But what about those coronavirus tests the FDA was slow to approve? It's a mixed bag. Because of the backlash, they have loosened the rules temporarily and are allowing states and any labs certified under the appropriate quality control standards to do coronavirus testing. Some private companies were planning to ship at-home tests to you, but were ordered by the FDA to stop because the test had not been approved, even though some of them are the same tests these labs are using. you getting the top stories every weekday on Utah's Morning News? Listen Monday. Back to A Costly Cure on KSL News Radio. Hi, everyone. Thanks for joining us today. I'm KSL News Radio's Kelly Pierce. Since the original stories in our A Costly Cure series aired, we've gotten a lot of questions from listeners and we wanted to answer some of them. John Wojcik's here with me now. 
Let's start with one of the biggest questions we got. Yeah, Kelly, it seems like there's been a lot of focus on the FDA as we did our previous project and as things have continued. Now, with that in mind, are you letting drug companies off the hook in the grand scheme of things here? Absolutely not. To the people who say this is all being driven by drug company greed, I personally agree with you. But the FDA is supposed to be the regulator. It's supposed to tell these companies, knock it off. You cannot play these patent games, which pretty much every healthcare economist says is one of the main reasons our drug prices are so high. What our story pointed out is that the regulator is not doing their job, and it doesn't look like Congress is questioning the FDA either, when they should be asking the FDA, what gives? Why are you letting this happen? Now, John, in your opinion, does Congress know what's going on? Do they know what the FDA has been letting drug companies do? Do they even realize how much everyday Americans are struggling? Yeah, and it seems like you know, sometimes maybe they don't. And it's I think it's easy to take a cynical view of Washington and this entire grand scheme of things saying, oh, they're focused on other issues and they don't really know what's happening to everyday people, you know, here in Utah who are dealing with uh, these enormous prices for life-saving drugs. From my perspective, and you'll hear it speaking with Congressman Ben McAdams, I think uh, the delegates in Washington are aware of what's going on. The problem is there's so many layers to this problem. You have to peel them back one at a time. So I think right now there is an effort going on in Washington to be able to take on whether it be the FDA or some of these drug companies that have created a monopoly. It's just a slow process. It's not something that's going to happen overnight. But I can assure everybody listening who's dealing with uh, maybe really expensive prescription drugs that these representatives in Washington do know what's going on. Speaking with Congressman McAdams, he says, anytime I go to an airport or I step on a bus or I just walk around my neighborhood here in Utah, I have somebody come up to me that says, hey, I'm paying this much for drugs and it should only be a fraction of what it is. What are you going to do to help me? And what he told me is he takes it personally and that's really a mandate that he has and some of his other colleagues have as well to be able to do something for the everyday people back home. Kelly, another common question that people have as they start to just wade into this big issue is how in the world is the FDA allowing all of this to happen? Well, that's unclear. I mean, it's really a mystery why they're allowing these companies to play these patent games. But not being able to see inside a human heart, I can only guess. So I'll give people some things to think about. I mean, maybe the regulators at the FDA are just misguided and they think they're doing the right thing. Maybe the drug companies are good at fooling people. But it's also not unheard of for people to jump from the FDA to a job at these same pharmaceutical companies. Another question we got, John, is what is the most surprising thing that you've learned investigating the cost of prescription drugs? Yeah, it's kind of a loaded question almost because I don't even know where to start. You can start at the grassroots level and just, I would say, how widespread this issue is. You talk to anybody you come in contact with, if they're not directly impacted, a family member is, a friend is. There's You don't have to go even you know one degree beyond uh, their inner circle of family to find someone who's impacted by this. And I think another thing that's kind of surprised me about this is when you look at political issues or things going on right now in the world, typically it's very partisan. There's people on the left, there's people on the right that have very different opinions on it. Not with this. I think if you talk to a conservative, if you talk to a liberal, if you talk to somebody who's more independent minded, they're all going to have the same opinion that what's going on right now is not right, that these patent games going on, that the FDA is allowing drug companies to play is the main reason that these drug prices are out of control. So I think this is one of the really rare things. Well, any anytime you see legislation brought forward, typically you're going to see some bipartisanship on it because there's people on the left and there's people on the right who can find some common ground when it comes to this. Kelly, what do you think is the most surprising? I agree with you. Usually when you have a political question, and at this point, this is a political question, you have a variety of different opinions, right? Not on this. Every healthcare economist, whether left, right, libertarian, Green Party, whether they work at an Ivy League school or a state university, they all say the same thing. 
The FDA allowing these drug companies to take over these old patents is the reason we're paying through the nose for our prescription drugs. That's incredible to me. And I think one of the main things that gets people triggered or upset about this is they see right across the border, either to the north or the south, Canada or Mexico, these drug prices are a fraction of what they are here in the United States. So through your research, Kelly, what do you think, what, what, is, the, what is the reason that these drugs are so much cheaper in other countries that are so close to us? So there are two ways other countries lower their costs. Some put a straight price cap on the drug, but then there's a few countries like Canada and they have an interesting system. Canada tells the pharmaceutical company, you can sell your products here, but if we think the price is too high, our domestic manufacturers will make your product. And that threat of competition is why Canada has the latest and greatest drugs at a third of the price. Countries with a straight price cap like England, yes, they pay less for their prescriptions, but they also might have fewer options or you have to wait years before companies will sell their products there. Now, John, another question that we get, very common, what would you do to lower drug prices? Yeah, and I think there's kind of two answers to that. There's a grand scheme, there's a big picture answer, and then there's what can you do right now? And I would say for the time being and what we're seeing, have some success. If you're just an everyday person who's paying way too much for drugs, contact your congressman, contact your local representative because we're seeing some real changes being made by people who are just, whether they're social networking on Facebook or they're going door-to-door grassroots movement. If you start a conversation, I guarantee you're going to find other people with very similar issues to you. And as soon as you bring that to the state level, there's no reason that really quick short-term changes can't be made. We just saw it in the past general session. There was some pretty groundbreaking stuff done to bring down prices of prescription drugs here in Utah. So if you start that conversation, you could see the price go way down. Now, I think big picture, we're waiting on some other things to happen. I think the main thing, the main issue right now is allowing these companies to take over old patents. I mean, this is something like if you don't develop the drug, and this should be obvious, that you don't have that patent and you shouldn't have a monopoly on the medication. Unfortunately, that's what's happening right now. That's what the FDA is allowing to happen. And I think that's what more of the uh, delegates in Washington are working on is some bigger institutional changes to uh, institutions like the FDA. So while we're waiting for that to happen, and there's certainly you can make your voice known about your display pleasure about that. But while you're waiting for that to happen, reach out to the people that oversee your district, that oversee the state. Those are the people I think that can issue some changes right now where you could see the price go way down within the next year, probably. And I definitely agree with you, of course, on all the patent games that are being played. I mean, definitely this is stealing. These companies did not develop these drugs, and now they have the exclusive patents to it. Second, if there's a reason we have to change something about a medication, maybe the dosage for safety reasons, then all drug companies have to do it. I mean, right now the FDA can stop a company from manufacturing a drug if their competitor does something as simple as changing the dosage. So these artificial government-created monopolies are raising our prices. It's also a disincentive for someone to come back onto the market. Also for me, I mean, it's one and done with a patent. Once the patent is run out, you don't give it to somebody else. The other thing that I would do, probably the last thing I would do, would be to give tax breaks to nonprofits like Civica Rx to help them manufacture their drugs because the more competition, the lower the cost to everyone. So any final thoughts, John? Hopefully we see more changes. I mean, it's really been uh, a year of change here in Utah when it comes to prescription drugs and, and the prices. And I think the legislation that oversees this, we saw in the past couple of months in general session, a lot of bills get passed and a lot of a lot of good first and second steps. Now, I think as the word gets spread and more people say, hey, why am I paying this much? Bring that conversation to your neighbor. Bring that conversation to your doctor. And then ultimately bring it to the ear of your local lawmakers, whoever that might be at the state level, or even you know at the local level, somebody who is... Uh, maybe a politician in your district, make it known that you're paying too much for your drugs 
And you could see that price go down, you know, sometime on this 2020 calendar. And I do want to say it's very interesting that the solutions to high drug prices are coming out of Utah. Of course, we talked about Congressman McAdams, but who's the sponsor of his bill in the Senate? Utah Senator Mike Lee, who is a Republican. So someone from across the aisle, right? In Utah, we're putting price caps on insulin. And I remember covering this story for KSL News Radio, and the insurance lobbyist was coming down to oppose the bill, but he got a call from his boss saying no. We're for this. True story. Because State Representative Norm Thurston figured out a way to make these price caps work for everyone. So it's really great, in my opinion, that Utah is leading the way on this. Thanks so much for joining us today for KSL News Radio's A Costly Cure. You can find more information about this and all our earlier reporting on KSLNewsRadio.com. I'm Dave Cauley investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts.